Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Jason Bradley, the founding director of the External Management Accounting Division with Pitcher Partners. Well, I hope wherever you're listening to this podcast, you're having a fantastic day. And I'm looking forward to bringing this conversation with Jason to you. I'd not met him prior to this interview, but he has started a new division within Pitcher Partners, and I was fascinated to learn more about their service offerings and also how he's gone about building this new business unit. But before we get into this discussion with Jason, let me briefly introduce myself to you. My name is Richard Triggs and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive. And we recruit CEOs, senior leaders and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. We also provide a range of career coaching and advocacy services for senior executives and non-executive directors who are actively looking for a new role. So if I can be of any assistance to you, please reach out to me via our website or LinkedIn and I'll happily have a chat to you about our services. Let me now formally introduce to you, Jason Bradley. Jason Bradley is a chartered accountant who has worked in Australia and overseas. He's worked in client organisations such as Coffee International, and most recently he is in the role of founding director of the new external management accounting division with Pitcher Partners. Jason has a passion for supporting small to medium enterprise with their accounting requirements and I'm sure you'll enjoy learning more about Jason's background and his current range of responsibilities. Sit back now and listen to this conversation with Jason Bradley. Okay, so Jason, uh, welcome to the Arate podcast. It is a Friday afternoon here, and I'm sure uh, you and I are looking forward to the weekend. But uh, it's great to have the opportunity to have a chat to you, and perhaps just for the benefit of people who are listening, just uh, start off by giving us a bit of an overview of your current professional responsibilities. Sure thing, um, and thanks for having me. Um, I'm a director at Pitch Partners in Brisbane. Um, Pitch Partners is a, a national network uh, of accounting firms, all independent. Um, people in, I guess, in Brisbane would know Pitcher Partners Brisbane better as Johnson & Rourke uh-huh. uh, previously. Um, so I've actually been with Pitcher Partners for 18 months. Um, I was brought in specifically to set up a, a new division. Um, okay. And that division is uh, providing external management accounting services. So it's a far more, I guess, um, you know, technology-based, um, uh, more frequent interaction with clients. Um, you know, there's a consulting piece. Um, it's very much, I guess, given the, the paradigm shift and digital disruption in accounting, um, mm-hmm. it's very much exploring the opportunity for accounting firms to remain relevant or become even more relevant mm-hmm. and add more value uh, to clients as things change. So it's a okay. very, very exciting space to be. Right. So uh, before we get into talking about that, so uh, in terms of they talk about the big four accounting firms, mm. um, you know, where do picture partners kind of fit in on the scene as compared to, you know, those more traditional blue yeah, ship yeah. Uh, yep. providers? Yeah, well, I mean, 
The pitch partners in Melbourne, which is sort of the mothership, um, they split out from KPMG, I believe it was, uh, 25 years ago. Okay. Um, and they've grown to 600 in Melbourne. Wow. Um, so they, they're probably number five behind the big four in Melbourne. Okay. Um, pitch partners generally na- nationwide, I think, sits at about six or seven. So right. it's in the mid-tier, second tier, okay. um, as you call it. Um, yeah. So, you know, hovering around with the Grant Thorntons, the VPOs. So when you say they're all independent, that means each office uh, operates completely independent. Yeah, so they're independent partnerships, okay. um, but they obviously share, you know, technical training, marketing, development. Right. Um, there's a strategic alignment between the firms. Okay. Um, and so if you're talking Big Four, is it a similar situation with them or... Or are they structured differently to that? I think Big Four are structured differently. Right. Um, you know, they've obviously got the global presence. Okay. Um, with Pitcher Partners, so we are a member of the Baker Tilly International Network. Right. Um, which is a, a, a brand that's come out of uh, the US. Okay. Um, so, for example, you know, I, I do some work in the Philippines. We've got an affiliate firm in the Philippines that we do some work with over there. Right. Um, that fit into the Baker Tilly International. So there is a broader... Um, network uh-huh. globally, um, but the focus really is, is nationally. So. Okay. And so what was the motivation for them to want to move into this new space that you've come in uh, to head? Look, they historically they've actually um, have some experience with this. Um, they have a specialisation in pharmacy. Uh, right. It's a division called JR Pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, you know, the, the, the pharmacy model is very much cookie cutter. Um, right. Pretty much every pharmacy you walk, walk into will be structured the same, the same okay. products and yeah. dispensary and so forth. So, um, yeah, they came up with the idea quite some time ago, particularly in the compliance space. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they moved into the management accounting and reporting space a few years back. Okay. Um, so they've, they've sort of been doing it. Um, the, I think the challenge they faced was knowing what they know from that experience was whether they could take that to the broader market. Um, so the decision was made to set up a separate division and, and um, come up with an offering that was was flexible and could be bespoke right. to, to business requirements. And is that a national initiative or just happening in Brisbane? <clears throat> it is, um, it's led out of Brisbane. Okay. Um, we're the first pitch partner firms to do it. Right. Um, first of the pitch partner firms to do it. Um, but it has triggered a national initiative. Um, so we, we have, um, um, been working together over the last 12 months. We've come up with a name, it's Picture Insight. Um, okay. The go-to-market will be sort of in, you know, competing with your uh, Deloitte Private Connects, PwC right. Next. Okay. Um, but it is being tailored. It's taking us a bit more time to get it out because we are tailoring it heavily to the to the mid-market mm-hmm. um, where you do need flexibility, where the relationship with the advisor one-on-one is probably a bit more advi- uh, more uh, required. So, you know, there's business process change that we mm-hmm. implement within the client's business. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas your Deloitte Private Connects and your PwC Next, it's pretty much you do what they say in that form. Um, they'll roll it out the same to every client and mm-hmm. the client has to adjust. We're probably a little bit more, you know, there's more more consulting work, there's more mm-hmm. business improvement work. Okay, all right, great. Well, uh, we'll uh, no doubt talk a bit more about that later in this uh, in this conversation. But uh, you know, I like to uh, to sort of set the scene by talking about where it all began for you. So mm-hmm. tell us about where you were born and you know early life, mum and dad, and schooling, etc. Yeah, sure. Um, I was born in uh, Tweed Heads. So okay, pretty much. But I was taken home to Palm Beach. So I'm a Gold Coast boy. Right. Um, so um, I yeah kicked off there. Um, you know, two parents and and um, and my sister. And, right. Um, you know, nothing real exciting. I guess I was a budding golfer growing up. Um, that what was did your passion. parents do? Uh, Dad, he's a salesman. He worked in in hardware. Okay. Um, and also quite a good drummer. Um, through the sixties, he played a lot of music in a lot of bands. Right. On the Gold Coast back when um, it was funny. Actually, one day I did a comparison. I, I worked out the um, uh, the shift in CPI between. 
back when he was a drummer and, and now and, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he was earning the equivalent of six figures You're right. back in the 60s just playing music in pubs it was a really really big thing for him and, and, yeah uh, yeah I had Nino DeMarco who's the CEO of the Royal Flying Doctors oh, right, on the yeah. podcast and he was a professional drummer yeah right and uh, he uh, used to be the drummer for Kamal oh remember wow Kamal? yeah I do remember Kamal yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so it's a bit of a musical theme in this podcast yeah absolutely yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. so uh, he was a drummer and yep. then uh, what he gave it away when he became a dad or no, no, he kept it going actually. Um, okay. Yeah, so I, I spent a lot of my time, not in a bad way, uh, right. helping him set up drum kits in pubs and clubs. And uh, okay, and you know, he had a couple of highlights. So uh, he, he backed up uh, Paul Williamson once at Twin Towns Services Club. That was a, a bit of a highlight for Dad, I think. I, um, I've got to show. I don't even know who Paul Williamson he, is. He wrote all these, you know, like Star Wars and like the score. Oh, right. He used to do all the scores for for a lot of um, okay. a lot of big movies. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was a bit of a highlight for Dad. Okay. Um, and I remember going on to see him afterwards. You know, that was that was a bit of fun for us. Right. But, um, yeah, Mum, Mum, you know, she she potted around the house and took good care of us. And uh huh. And we, so living on the Gold Coast, you weren't a surfer. No, actually, it was. It's interesting. I I, I say I'm from the Gold Coast with some trepidation because I, I certainly didn't fit right. culturally okay. with the Gold Coast way of life. Um, I, you know, you obviously don't realise these things until you get older and leave. Mm. Um, but no, no, I, I, I did surf and did all the things that, that, um, that, you know, I guess was expected growing up there, but it was golf that really took my passion. Okay. Like, and you, you took that to quite a high level, didn't you? Yeah, I got, I played off, um, I got to scratch. Okay. Um, in, in, in my time playing golf at different times. I'm not sure when I was a junior. I got down to about one, I think, when I was a junior. Right. Um, but yeah, I used to um, kick around with um, Scotty Gardner, who ended up, Playing it on the US tour and okay. a few other good players. So I, I guess I, while well, that was my passion and I always wanted to be a professional golfer, playing right. with with um, the likes of Scott Gardner, you you, you, you realised fairly quickly that maybe that wasn't going to happen. Okay, right. <laughs> so you, uh, how old were you when you finally uh, came to terms with the oh, fact that probably, you were going to be professional? Probably twenty one or twenty two. Okay, uh, yeah. all right. So I, I knew feeling. I was always you know I, I had an interest in you know, going to uni, you know, yeah. I hadn't up to that point. And, right. And I probably enjoyed, you know, to be honest, going out and socialising too much as well. It was, <laughs> it was, uh, that was always, that's a typical story. So uh, you, you did your high school on the coast and then off to Griffith Uni. Yeah, I actually, um, I, I went to Mount St. Patrick's um, High School down in Moolumba. Right. So we used to have to do the bus ride down there. Uh, okay. Folks wanted me to go to a Catholic school, so. Right. And that was great, you know, I used to, you know, it's a bit out in the country, so I had some interesting friends at school and some, some interesting experiences. And Yeah. Um, and yeah, then, then kicked off to, to Griffith Uni and okay. um, of course got on the golf team there and we had some success, which was great. Okay. Got to travel around a bit and play some play some uh, tournaments for the for the university and um, got involved with the um, um, you know, a lot of the social activities there, mm-hmm. the, the student guild, right. uh, those sorts of yeah. things. So and were you good. working at all during that time? Yeah, I was um, between delivering pizzas and pushing trolleys, yeah. Okay, so, right, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so. Uh, well, those good student jobs. That's, that's right, yeah. <laughs> and so um, uh, what uh, attracted you to going and doing an accounting degree initially? Strangely enough, it was almost like an emotional link. My, my mother always took a lot of pride in doing her own books. And, and okay. She, I think she really talked up the whole accounting profession. She took right. a lot of pride in getting her numbers right before she went and saw her accountant. Okay. It was almost like he'd give her a bit of a scorecard and she'd right. come home and be telling me all about it. And <laughs> so I, I think it's one of these Freudian things where there's this influence in the back of my mind that, that's, right. like, you know, mum talking to me, it's my inner voice. And, uh-huh. and quite frankly, pushing trolleys, I was exhausting and a horrible job. And, and I love the idea of sitting in air conditioning behind a, you know, behind a desk and, and being the person that could provide advice. And, right, and, sure. You know, 
Have okay. That sort of profile. Okay. So uh, you finish your degree, and and where to from there? Um, well, basically, I I guess I fumbled through a bit to be honest. My my career is not being planned. Uh, uh, I had my first job um, for uh, a business called uh, Colin Woodward and Associates down at uh, Kira, and uh, Colin was a fantastic mentor. He was very patient with me. Right. Um, I was a terrible accountant. Actually, this was through my uni years. So my uni. And so what were they? A small chartered accounting practice? Yeah, yeah, just a, a charter firm. Okay. Um, and yeah, look, I was dreadful. Um, right. And I knew very quickly, but I persevered because I wanted to be the accountant. You know, yeah. That uh, the tax certainly wasn't my okay. area. Right. Um, and uh, I don't know that I ever had a profitable job, to be honest. But um, Colin was great. He's very patient and persevered with me and. Tried to get what he could out of me. But, so you were there for about three years? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah on and off, sort of, while well, I finished off what I was doing at Griffith. And, okay, uh, okay. And then uh, travelled overseas. Yeah, just took off and um, ran a pub in London. Right. Um, I, I was determined not to do anything to do with accounting. I thought, yeah. let's uh, you know, avoid the cliche. I'll go over there and do something different. So I ran a pub and was no good at that and got sacked. Um, Probably about three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was. I think I was actually enjoying myself too much. You to drank uh, all the profits. It's, yeah, it was, it was a bit too much fun. Right. So, so how long were you in the UK for in total? Uh, about eighteen months. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was great. I, I, I lived. Uh, I decided. You know, London was just full of Australians and South Africans, and that yeah. was boring. So, went down south where a friend was playing cricket, and lived down in uh, Plymouth for about six months. Okay. Just uh, it was just great being one of the only Aussies in town. And, and what sort of work did you do there? Uh, worked for. a who did I work for? Yerabel Telluest and the Royal Mail. Okay. And the Royal Mail was interesting. That was my first experience of OCR technology since the optical character recognition technology, okay, which yeah. is one of the things that are that's coming in now and disrupting, you know, particularly around bookkeeping and processing. Right. So for people like me who don't really get uh, yep, that yep. acronym, so this is where you write on an envelope yes. and, it, and it can the read. The computer, it. yeah, exactly. Right. The, the software will, will try and interpret and decipher what the writing is. And okay. you can imagine with handwriting, that's messy. So. Yeah, sure. So our job was to to come in and um, and uh, try and pick up what the computer couldn't actually read. Okay. Um, and so you know the, the it'd be presented to you with triangles and squares around the areas that it doesn't understand. So. Right. So you wouldn't actually physically have to hold the envelope. No, no, you, no. You no. just see it an was image. An image. Of it. Yep. An image right. would come up, and it was. And ha- how often would you get it wrong? Uh, regularly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it was the most again. It's the most monotonous. <laughs> job I guess I've ever experienced okay and it was nighttime work so you start at 10 and finish at 6 in the morning and right it was it was tedious but it was I don't know there was a good crew there and we had a bit of fun but um, yeah it was interesting to see I guess now that I do what I do you know seeing the changes in the technology yeah you know, sure it's, it's yeah. quite dramatic and that would have been you know that, that was a raw mail back then I think um that sort of technology was only held within big institutions right. universities obviously raw mail in the yeah, UK yeah. Um, and nowadays you can you can you can buy a online application for 15 bucks a month or something. That yeah, yeah. Do something like that. Okay. And so uh, 18 months later, back to southeast Queensland? No, I actually um, came home and um, got a phone call from a mate that was living in Melbourne and he said, why don't you come down here? Because I, I realised after living in the UK, as soon as I got home, it was literally straight away. Um, and having experienced a different way of life over there, that, that um, the reason I had so much fun there was because I didn't fit in on the Gold Coast. It, it right. really wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, the people... Lovely. I've got family on the Gold Coast, but it's just there's not a great deal of mm-hmm. thinking going on from what I could see sure, in my yeah. groups. And so, yeah, went went down to Melbourne and um, ended up meeting a great group of friends down there. And um, you know, we we um, you know, a lot of them were a lot smarter than me. And, right. And I really enjoyed that. Okay. And so you know, you go to the pub on a Saturday afternoon and just have all these wonderful conversations about everything. Yeah. You know, politics, economics, the whole lot. Um, and that was wonderful. So. 
so that was a good experience to, to meet those people and, and you know professionally I, I that's when I started sort of looking at um, getting into sort of more accounting within commerce okay um, okay worked for a, a US listed company TD Williamson down there on a contract and um, and then um, yeah did that over the summer and then um, decided I wanted to, to head up to Falls Creek and, yeah yeah I'd actually done a bit of contract work up there previously but I thought you know I'll go and live in the snow for a while okay and um, because of the the skiing or like yeah, snowboarding, but also just something different. I guess right. I was in that search mode at the yeah, time. It's sure. just, you know, this is city, okay, it's all right. And, and the opportunity was there to go up and um, uh, run the office for, okay. for one of the uh, um, hospitality companies up there. They, okay. they ran the hospital, they had about six restaurants, I think, pubs, restaurants, um, and they also had an over-snow taxi service. Right. Um, so it was interesting. It was a good mix of, obviously, the hospitality and the... And you were there for over a couple of years. Oh, yeah, I was there. I think I ended up staying there for about four or five years. Yeah. Wow. That yeah. must have been a really interesting, uh, particularly, as I imagine, you know, you've got your snow season where... Yeah, yeah. And then in the off-season, it must be almost like a completely different place. Yeah, well, it was... It, it was. You're dead right. I mean, you know, in the summer you're tiptoeing through the tulips and lovely wildflowers and all this right. sort of stuff, and it's beautiful weather. I mean, you know, you get a sunny day and it's 20 degrees max and it's yeah. gorgeous. Um, and then in the winter time, obviously, you've got all the activities that go with um, skiing. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was it was it was almost the perfect life for a while, to be honest, because I had that combination of working hard in the winter and in the summer. I only worked a couple of days a week and right. did a bit of study and and. Um, and uh, yeah, played golf. It was wonderful. <laughs> Are you a single guy at the time? Yeah, I was actually. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. I, I, I had a partner earlier in the piece, but that, okay. that, that fell over. But I hung around. I, right. I, I loved it. It was great. So, what was it that made you decide that it was time to leave that idyllic lifestyle? And... I think it's the, too much of a good thing. It was, okay. It, was, it did get to that point where right. you know, it's it's you know I need something different. Yeah. Time, time to change. So, okay. So I um, thought I'll you know I'll go back down to Melbourne and see if I can ply out something down there. Right. And what happened then? Well, that's when I got my, uh, I guess it wasn't my first job for a listed, but it was my first job with a listed in Australia. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I got a, went through an interview process. I was doing a contract with um, National Medical Imaging Group. Yeah. Doing all their budgets and forecasting and then um, had got an interview with Coffee International. Right. And, and they're uh, in the engineering space, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got geotechnical business, um, okay. environmental, social impact assessment stuff. And um, I think they do you know, testing and this is, yeah, basically around that, that consulting space right with engineers yeah okay and you were there for what about six years yeah six years yeah, okay. yeah so and, uh, but tell us about how your roles unfolded during that time yeah well i, I kicked off basically as just a management accountant and, and look mm-hmm. to be honest um or uh, i think they call it finance manager back then but the role wasn't really at that level um and it was for a division um called uh, nsr they'd been recently acquired and they ended up becoming uh, coffee natural systems mm-hmm. and um it was just brilliant. It was almost like, you know, I mean, I obviously sold myself well in the interview process. Um, and I came up against uh, Debbie Gooden, who's a, I think a few people around the place probably know her. She's, um, she was a CFO at Coffee for a while. Okay. And um, I think she does does some work with the Royal Melbourne Hospital. And, okay. And, um, and she's, uh, I think she was on the board at uh, Mount Hotham uh, Resort Management as well. Right. So she she was a, you know, high level exec. And, and um, yeah, I, I that was a frightening interview. Right. Um, <laughs> But, uh, and yeah, anyway, I ended up getting through that okay. And, and, um, and I, I was amazed when I kicked off the, the culture uh, within that particular business. Mm. Uh, the priority of, um, of, the, man, of, the, of the, the management within that business was almost, it may not sound right in terms of integrating with a, with a company that's, that's acquired you, but they were very protective of their culture. And mm-hmm. 
I remember, you know, you go in there on a Saturday morning and there'd be, you know, there'd be cars in the car park and the car park would be full. And um, late at night, people would be working and they were thrilled to bits to do it. Like they really felt a part of something. Right. Um, a lot of the the engineers, you know, would be traveling up and down from PNG and, you know, they basically okay. did social envi- environmental and social impact assessments. So um, and, that's interesting. I mean, uh, what do you think it was that was unique about their culture that had their team so engaged and just, wanting to work so hard? They just managed... The balance that they struck was really treating people well, but not in a patronising way. It was almost like, you know, there was there were certain spontaneous activities that they would do. Um, you know, when they had Friday night drinks, they bought nice wine, they bought nice nibblies. Um, right. You know, they'd organise a day activity and, and you know, they'd, they'd have a bus and they'd go somewhere either cultural or somewhere mm. know, historic that, that sort of you know, blended in with their profession, you know, so mm. they maybe going out to the gold fields or doing something okay. like that. And they really focused on bringing in people that were a, were a fit. Right. And, and I think for me at the time, I think the reason I got the job wasn't so much my technical skill. I think it's because I was a cultural fit. Yeah. Um, so what do you think it was about you that aligned so well with that business? Probably just my, my attitude and approach. Optimism. You like nice wine and good nibble. Yeah, that's right. Aside <laughs> <laughs> from that, yeah. No, I, I just had a, like, it was a big task to undertake. We had right. to, to implement, um, you know, they were recently acquired. They were using yeah. Myob and just a couple of spreadsheets to run their business. And, right. and um, even though they had, at that point, I think they had about 100 people around the country within, mm-hmm. that, within that business. Um, and we had to implement a, a, an ERP okay. from, from, from the mothership. And mm-hmm. um, that was, you know, in hindsight, I look back on it and it was a very, very difficult task, very right. difficult undertaking because these guys were so used to having everything done for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I managed to succeed was, was, was I was, they could probably see that I was, I'd be able to actually manage the change. I'd be, mm-hmm. be able to engage the, the, the engineers and engineers are typically difficult to work with. Um, so your kind of uh, unique bent on your career has been to grab hold of new technology and, and be able to implement that to drive businesses more successfully. Well, not, not initially, it was probably something I fell into. Sure. You know, I, was, I, I could always make a spreadsheet thing and, and, yeah. and I loved it. Spreadsheeting. I mean, mm-hmm. that's something I, you know, when I learned about that in university, I, I just grabbed it. And any opportunity, whether right. it was a home budget or anything, I, okay. I, I, I'd, I'd jump on a spreadsheet. I just loved everything you could do with it. Yeah. So to me, and, and still to me, it's, it's a great way of accountants distinguishing, <coughs> excuse me, distinguishing themselves um, is, to, is to really, you know, get their head around Excel and what it can actually right. do, the power of the, the tool. A lot of businesses want to get rid of it. And a lot of software companies say, well, you know, get rid of all those spreadsheets. And it's like, the way they, it should be put is get rid of all those bad spreadsheets, right. those poorly, stru- poorly structured spreadsheets. Sure. It's still the best, one of the best applications for an accountant to use. In right. And just, you know, as a bit of an aside, I mean, you're in this business coffee, uh, you are getting a sort of a, a first-hand practical uh, education about how good culture makes businesses succeed. Oh, yeah. Um, in your role now, and obviously I want to keep going back into your past, but yeah. uh, in your role now where you're out and you're working with small to medium-sized enterprise, mm. I mean, what's your sort of, if, when you're looking at their cultures, and no doubt you're looking at lots of different businesses all the time, you know, how many of them have a culture that you would look at and say, wow, that's as good as coffee's was? Not many. Right. No, it's, it's very rare. It's interesting, isn't it? And the biggest benefit I've had from it has been potentially what it's opened up in terms of consulting and being able to consult with businesses and and um, help them manage change when if there is a change of software or there's a change of process, which inevitably happens when we yeah. come in, um, is is just having that understanding of, of where their culture might be and, 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 and you know, 
I guess, um, structuring my approach mm. around that. Um, Are you given the sort of the permission in your role to instruct and, you know, hold the mirror up to these businesses and say, hey, guys, uh, your culture could do with a bit of a, uh, you know, an improvement? Yeah, probably not so much on the cultural side. Right. Um, you know, I probably have to be reasonably careful there and tactful. Yeah. Um, I think, though, tying it to my experience, it's probably just my understanding of what's good and bad. Right. Having seen what I would consider the best yeah. and been a part of the best. And, and you know, I'm not kidding. These people would work ridiculous hours mm. and it wasn't forced and it was never expected. Mm-hmm. There were successful people in that firm that didn't work long hours. Sure. So it was okay. But yeah. they just wanted to. They believed in what they yeah. did. And um, it's probably been more benefit for me internally in building my own teams. Okay. Is, is, it has been that experience. Sure. And whether I would have been like that without that experience or not, I don't know. Okay. Mm. So you're there for six years. You're having a good yep. time. Yep. And uh, so why did you leave that business? Well, it's, it, it, it changed. Okay. Um, ultimately, I, I um, you know, the, the businesses merged and we, we had a restructure into a matrix organisation. And yep. um, things really changed from that point. I was no longer, you know, my role became more senior. I suppose you'd look at it as a promotion. You mm-hmm. know, I became a commercial manager and I was across seven out of the eight service lines within the business and mm-hmm. there was a global you know there was a global reach so i had there was office in dubai and us and Papua new guinea and all around the place and um so on paper you'd look at that as oh, great you know that was a yeah but really it was just dropped on me right. uh, in hindsight i look at it and it's probably wasn't the best experience for me because i actually wasn't at that level mm-hmm. yet mm-hmm. Um, you were promoted too soon Absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. You know, I wasn't, wasn't up to it. Right. Mm. And so you self-selected out? Um, no, what ended up happening, I got sick. Um, okay. so, so I was plodding along, that was all okay. Um, then we had another restructure and I, I became quite unwell uh-huh. and, and had to, um, um, they had to get a contractor to come in and, and help out. Right. Me. Um, and then I ended up having to have about six months off right. uh, while I recovered. Right. Because came, you, came back. you were diagnosed with a form of cancer. That's correct, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So and I, so how? tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how that came to your attention and so on. Yeah, well, it was interesting. I, I had a bit of a um, scratch, a bit of an itch on the back of my leg, and, and um, it wouldn't go away and ended up seeing a doctor and they, you know, saying it's all these different forms of lumps and bumps and whatever gave me creams and all different right. things and, and yeah. yeah never go away and anyway eventually um uh, ended up going having a biopsy done and, and it was uh, a form of very rare form of non-hodgkin's lymphoma okay and um yeah so i ended up having some radiation and bits and pieces to get right. rid of it the doctors yeah. thought it'd be okay and then um uh, as most of these stories go it wasn't and mm. um yeah ended up going into my liver and wow. i had to have the full okay full chemo and stem cell transplant and wow and a lot yeah uh, a heavy thing to deal with at probably quite a young age. Yeah, well, it was intense. Yeah, I, th- I think I was thirty. We were in thirty-four. Right. And, okay. um, yeah, it was very difficult. And, mm-hmm. and you know, like I, f- I felt I was doing well in my career, and mm-hmm. even though like now I know I was promoted too early, I don't think I realised back then. Yeah, it was all fun and games. Sure. So. Yeah. Um, but in terms of yeah, everything just came to a grinding halt. Right. And, so you uh, you took uh, six months out. Yep. Uh, got your health back under control. Yep. All sorted. Yeah, yeah, everything was fine after that. So, okay. And then went back, went back to work. And uh, back to a, coffee. Yeah, on a contract basis, but okay. it was pretty clear to me that you know the, the chap they brought in as the the replacement or okay. the contractor to help. He, sure. He'd now become well entrenched in the role. Okay. Yeah. So they put me on a contract for, with full pay, and anyway, they sort of kept me busy, but it was never going to last. So mm-hmm. it ended up being a redundancy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, and I mean that was. 
good timing because uh, mm-hmm. I was ready for the change. After. You're still in Melbourne at this stage? Yes, I was. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, was it at that time that you came back up to Brisbane? Yeah, look, we, we, uh, we were blessed. We had a, a little baby girl and... Uh-huh. and um, and yeah, it was. I thought, well, you know, time to do something different. The family's up here; they can help us take care of Matilda. And and um, yeah, just come up here without any work. Right. Just, just let's have a crack. You know, yeah. Let's see what we can do in Brisbane. So. And why? Why Brisbane? Far enough away from the family. <laughs> <laughs> the family on the, on the Gold Coast. Yeah, they're they're all down the Gold Coast. Yeah, right. No, it was. It was um, no, we we look to be honest. We probably would have gone back to the Gold Coast. My wife would prefer that, but. Um, the, there was no work right. for, in what I do there. Yeah, There's sure. no corporate headquarters yeah, or yeah, that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but not immediately into picture partners? No, no, no. no. I um, actually worked for a company on the Sunshine Coast called Goodline. Um, okay. John Kennedy, the, the boiler maker from Weeper, that's, that's made, his, made his fortune. That was, right. Uh, yeah. So that was, that was an interesting job there, actually. Okay. Um, you know, the, the mining services. So they, they do... I mean, John's philosophy is interesting. He, he'll, he'll build a bucket wheel, you know, which is, you know, the big big um, bucket, bucket wheel things on the mine sites. I don't know the technical name of them. Right. The conveyor belts and all that sort of stuff. They'll yeah, build these yeah. huge, huge structures. Right. And, um, and uh, you know, they'll do that. Then at the same time, they'll they'll fix up Grandma's light bulb down right. the road in Weeper. So he basically, his philosophy was interesting. He had this, this view that uh, yeah, there's nothing too big or too small. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, he basically set up a corporate headquarters on the Sunshine Coast and obviously to, to tap into the labour market there for... Mm-hmm. For the shared services and um, yeah, yeah, uh, it, it probably was a difficult environment for me to come into though because it was a family-run business and yeah, and and um, I'd sort of come out of that corporate, mm-hmm. more corporatized environment. So to me, some some of the decisions I you know didn't necessarily understand, and then there was others I didn't. And so yeah, it probably wasn't going to be a, a long-term thing for me. Okay, and then into a uh, consolidate. Yeah, yeah. Look, they're a, a firm based at Malkavat. Okay. Um, well, I guess the history behind that was I'd for some time been looking at this whole virtual CFO business mm-hmm. and, and trying to understand what it was. and Because mm-hmm. I like the idea of using what I'd learnt, you know, working in, in multiple businesses to to package it up and be able to deliver something to, to, to multiple clients. And mm-hmm. um, so, um, you know, Consolidated advertised for a head of their management accounting division. And I thought, well, I've never seen that before. I've never mm-hmm. seen that advertised before. So there must be someone doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, anyway, got an interview and, and, um, and the recruiter that, that spoke to me, he said initially he didn't want to want to talk to me because right. he looked at my CV and thought there's no way in the world that that's going to suit. But I came in and met with him and told him what my vision for, for what a genuine management accounting service would look like mm-hmm. um, is. And and he yeah he thought, oh, I've got to put this guy forward. And sure okay. enough, it, it went from there. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, that was sort of my first, I, I did try and, I did run a bit of a, small consultancy with a couple of clients myself trying mm-hmm. to do that but okay. just didn't have the contacts up here to right. to leverage and, and okay. get it out there so so yeah that was that was my I guess the experience of consolidate was the opportunity to actually refine what I th- what I thought the right looked like yeah and um and work with it work with a great team there and also mm-hmm. get some exposure working with um teams in the Philippines mm-hmm. as well and so from there into picture partners. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they were, they were basically on the hunt. And, um, and again, you were brought in specifically to start this new um, service offering. Yep, yep. Okay. And yep. so um, uh, you know, when you were initially engaged, what was the mandate for the role? Well, that's interesting. Like, it, I remember catching up with um, Nigel Fisher when I'd actually... I'd, I'd been through the interview process and caught up with Nigel, one of the partners there, and sat down and... and um, 
you know, Nigel said to me straight up, he said, well, what's your vision? Right. So whether there was a mandate or not, I think they were prepared to explore it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really do think they wanted somebody to come in who had a gauge on what they're actually trying to achieve. Right. And so, so what was the vision then? So the vision for me is this this full um, virtual CFO offering. Right. But it's, to me, there's not a huge amount of integrity being a VCFO if you're not across the detail yeah. or you're not involved in structuring the systems and processes to enable control around the numbers right. and the integrity of the data. Right. To me, I, th- I think that's a critical part of being any sort of financial control uh, CFO level mm-hmm. in an organisation. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to have a virtual offering, then I think that needs to be part of what you do. Mm-hmm. So um, so my vision was, was to, you know, obviously leverage technology um, to some degree. The technology is far from perfect. Mm-hmm. People get a bit carried away with all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's zero. Zero is a part of it, yeah. but we are agnostic. Right. Um, I have looked at other applications that, that, in my view, would be just as good. Yeah. The thing is, the clients don't necessarily want to use these other applications. So, you, you know, there's a product called Sage One now that's on the market. Oh, yeah. It's cloud-based. Okay. Um, in terms of, you know, uh, functionality from an accounting perspective, it's probably superior to, to Zero. Um, okay. Zero falls over with some of our bigger clients. Mm-hmm. So what, what would be a sort of a... A uh, couple of examples of clients that you're working with in terms of type of business and size and so on. Yeah, look, um, they range. I mean, we, we've got a, a, a franchisee who um, works or has um, uh, franchises with um, Caltex and Puma. Uh, uh-huh. And that's obviously in the retail space, um, 18 sites. Um, so we manage in, like all of, all of his accounts through Xero, mm-hmm. um, do all of the processing, pr- preparation of payments, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the management accounting at the end of month mm-hmm. and consolidation. So that's that's our, our biggest client presently. Um, we've got some smaller clients that might be uh, looking to franchise. So so early, I mean, this model works really well for franchise groups, mm-hmm. uh, particularly around the benchmarking. So we've got some clients that are, you know, they're small, um, but... Um, you know, we do, it is more towards the sort of medium size enterprise that I want to pitch it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the real focus for me. Or if they're small, they've, they've got a growing operation, they're looking to scale. Mm-hmm. I think the sweet spot is really around where businesses have got to a point where they've got away with it with a bookkeeper or they don't have an internal accountant. They look to the market and they think, well, we need someone to help us. Um, they don't have the skill set to recruit a, an accounting professional. They might go to a recruiter who might send them whatever. They still don't understand what, what the role needs to be and what they need to do. Um, so we can come in with this model and, and sort of be the virtual CFO for a period of time and it might be that they want to stick with us and they can scale with us mm. and, and we can scale offshore. Um, or alternatively, we might take them to a certain point and then help them recruit um, a, a, an accounting resource. Um, mm-hmm. I'm actually involved, you know, around my consulting work, I'm actually involved in a recruitment process at the moment. Okay, right. So, um, and, you know, that's where the relationship with the client gets to because you, you really, you know, I mean, this particular client I've done, uh, I ran a, an RFI for them around their software. So they've gone to implement a big ERP system. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that, the knowledge that I've gained around their business and their operations and what they need from a system point of view, I can tell them exactly what they need from a personnel point of view to actually fly the plane. You know, they've bought the 747, they need a pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, from that, it might end up being that we might do some accounting work for them as well, you know, mm-hmm. and provide some support to the to the, to the the internal resource um, as the business grows. So, so how, how would the sort of a initial engagement typically work? These guys are... In some kind of crisis, or yeah, look, we've got a couple that, right. that kick off that way where yeah. it's desperate, um, and you know we're not coming in as a 
a solvency specialist or an administrator or anything like that. But mm-hmm. but you know, it's it's before that point where we can come in and just give them some stability and control mm-hmm. and, and visibility around their numbers because most of them don't even get PLs. They don't even understand or don't know what what's going on in their balance sure. sheet. Yeah. So so there's a coaching exercise around that. We mm-hmm. just you know they don't have to deal with their bookkeeper anymore. They don't have to deal with with internal admin. Um, so we, we steady the ship that way. Um, we get other clients that, you know, they're paying a lot of money for an internal account and mm-hmm. they're not sure of the value. And so we'll come in and have a look at what they're doing. Generally speaking, the, the engagements will start with a consulting piece where we'll, mm-hmm. we might do some process mapping, try and understand the skill sets of the various personnel within the business. This is mainly obviously financial, on the financial mm-hmm. processing side of the business. Um, and then, yeah, sometimes it might be, you know, give them a tick of approval and say, well, that's as good as that gets um, mm-hmm. on your way. Or alternatively, we can we can provide them something that'll mm. make it better. Okay. And uh, a lot of the work is done for you by a team of uh, virtual staff for you um, based in the Philippines. Yeah, so the way so we... you're a VCFO that has your own V team. Pretty much, right. yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> So yeah, we, we, we have a team and, and I've just returned from the Philippines and, right. and, and um, we try and spend as much time as we can with them, okay. um, but they're based in Makati in, in right. central Manila, yeah. um, which is a, you know, it's a really up and coming spot sure. um, and attracting a lot of, um, I won't use the word talent, it's, it's commonly used in the industry, I don't like it, but mm-hmm. they've, they've, you know, they've got some, some um, the market's become more competitive over there and, and, and graduates and um, Accounts realize I can't just turn up with a degree anymore and get a job. So, right. So, um, you know, particularly within the McCarty market, the accountants are coming through with a bit of experience. And sorry, working. when you say that it's more competitive, you're meaning there's more candidates yes. looking for jobs. Yep. As V, whatever. So, so you know, they're basically management accountants, yeah. bookkeepers. Right. Um, so there's there's. Uh, an oversupply of uh, accountancy for these opportunities. Well, I, I wouldn't. I'd say when I'm saying the supply is increasing, it what previously it was really bad. Right. Okay. So you had to do a lot of training. They wouldn't have used zero before. They wouldn't yeah. use my before. Yeah. These days they can come on board and they've got experience with Australians right. and yeah. they've got experience with zero. Right. Okay. So, so it's 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 kind of um, it's really becoming more. Um, to me, more appetising to, to offshore some of these roles. Sure. Not so much for the price. The price is going up with with that as well. The yeah. skill sets are increasing and so is the price. Yeah. Um, but the retention, the, the, the ability to retain these staff, okay. doing the some of the processing work and doing some of the lower end accounting and reconciliation work, Right. Um, you can generally retain them for a lot longer. Than you could in Than Aussie. you could locally, yeah. Right, yeah, because absolutely. the Australian's going to get bored and yeah. want to get on with their life. Yep, yep. Right. Whereas, whereas these guys, you know, we've got, we got a great team in the Philippines. They, they, all they want to do is just be able to do their job well. Right, and, okay. And they'd like to do some more interesting things yeah. from time to time, but I think they're... they're, they're Expectations around the time frame and, and mm-hmm. what you need to learn before you mm-hmm. get to that level is is different to here. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's here, people come out of uni and they just want to go straight to the CFO. And and, and, and okay, so do you think that that's a uh, a cultural element of you yes, know, the yep. Filipino culture, or yep. is it because that like it or not, that's your job and you don't yeah. have any other choice, so just put up with it. Yeah. Look, I mean, obviously there is a lot of inequality in the Philippines, and there's a lot of very, very rich people, a lot of very, very poor people. These sure. guys are in the middle. Okay. So they are, to some degree, grateful right. uh, for, for having the opportunity. Okay. So I'm sure that comes into it. Um, but at the same time, culturally, I mean, it is a culture that's always been told what to do. Yeah. Um, and for them to have the opportunity to even start to use their judgment and use right. their professionalism, um, which I have literally spent a whole week talking to them about. Yeah. 
because that's where we can get leverage. Yeah, sure. Um, they're just my team in particular are just starting to take that on and okay and um, right. Yeah, so so I think th- they're not aspiring too high, but but I wouldn't say that they couldn't go further because they they are right. so committed and, and the work yeah. ethic is extraordinary. So oh, great. And so uh, for people who are listening who are potentially considering you know, uh, setting up some kind of a virtual team in the Philippines, mm. you know, through your own experience, um, you know, what would you say are some of the real benefits and some of the the things to be very mindful of? Be mindful of how long it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is the investment of time. And if mm-hmm. I were to go back and do it again, I would go over there far more regularly okay. in the early stages. Mm-hmm. So I'd probably go over once a month for the first six months. Right. Um, you've got to be cognizant of their cultural conditioning. Uh, you can't just tell them to not be a fright, not be frightened of you. Right. They are frightened of you, and they will continue to be frightened of you until okay. they trust you. Right. Um, never tell a never write off a Filipino. Never yell at a Filipino. Never berate them. Okay. Because again, like a scared dog. Right. It's they don't get over it. Okay. Not that I've done that. I've just seen the sure. Seen what 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 can happen from that. So so yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely worth the while. And then as you get to know them, and, and you know, I've even gone as far as heading out of town and seeing where they live. And okay. You know, um, it is a lovely culture. And right. There's a lot to be gained from it. Sure. And it sounds as though one of the real benefits is you're getting good, loyal, hardworking people yeah, yeah. who are prepared to do some of the, the less desirable things. Correct. Yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. great. And then coming back to, so your service now to um, uh, your clients. So mm. uh, if somebody was listening in uh, to this podcast, what would be some of the things you'd say if this is happening in your business, or if you can, you know, you, these would be good reasons for you to want to come and talk to me about us providing this service to you. Yeah, it's pretty simple, really. If, if you're not getting your reports once a month and you don't trust them, right. um, that's the starting point. Okay. So nine times out of 10 underlying that will either be a, a deficient process. Yeah. Um, might be an individual within the organization that... But these are typically businesses that are big enough that have their own bookkeeper or... Uh, yeah. 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 But yep, not yep. necessarily have, you know, a full blown, you know, accountant. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not um, writing off bookkeepers, but generally, you know, for for a typical BAS agent that just gets your GST done, all that really matters is that all the GST is claimed, and they're not claiming GST on items that shouldn't have GST on them. Right. That's their focus. Um, and then quite often, historically, when the tax accountant picks up the books at the end of the year, yeah, half of the bill will be on so rework yeah. and tidying it yeah, up. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So. So everybody knows that story. They've all right. been there. Um, and during the year, the reports aren't, you know, generally speaking, they won't have the technical piece mm-hmm. in there. So mm-hmm. they're not going to look at a six-week payroll month and make an accrual around the, the wage costs. They're not okay. going to scrutinise the revenue within a maybe a, a business that does fixed-price mm-hmm. projects that go over multiple periods. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to, you know, consider the whip um, and, 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 you know, make sure that the, the whip's right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and the cash flow reporting is obviously not going to be there. Um, there. There's a lot of things that, that I guess, for, for, the, for a similar price, really, um, of a bookkeeper or, a, or a, you know, a sort of mid-accountant, mid, uh, um, you can get a service where you're actually tapping a lot more experience and knowledge and, right. and um, the cost, you know, generally is out cheaper, to be honest. So, so they, they would replace their bookkeeper with you? That's correct, yeah. Right, yeah, okay. Yeah. So and it, nine times out of 10, of course, it, it'll be one of my team. Oh, one, I, one of the, when I say yeah, you, I yeah. mean your, your business. That's right, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we've talked a bit about disruption and certainly disruption in, is happening in every industry. Mm. In my industry, it's LinkedIn. You yep, know, yep, uh, yep. Uh, I mean, looking at your space and if you were looking at crystal balls sort of five or 10 years down the track from now, what, what do you think are going to be some of the, 
you know, the really significant changes that are going to happen and, and further disrupt your industry? Uh, OCR is a big one. What, what does that so mean? So that's the uh, optical character okay. recognition. So wow. at the moment, um, there, are, there are software out there that, yeah. that, that can recognise an invoice document. Um, they're building, a, I guess, in the background, for example, you'll have a client that might use a Coca-Cola as a supplier. Right. Um, the software they use that's cloud-based would have had somebody else with a Coca-Cola as a supplier yeah. map that invoice, okay? So that invoice mapping is already sitting in the software okay. before you've even used it. Okay. Multiply that by you know, magnitudes around right. how many suppliers there are out there and you can yeah. sort of see how it's exponential, how quickly sure. that can grow by this crowd. It's basically crowdsourcing. Okay, so basically, just make sure I understand that. Yep. So at some point, somebody has already processed a yes. Coca-Cola invoice. Yep. yep. So because the software is, as you say, crowdsourced, mm. that means that the next person who wants to process it because it's already there, they can do it immediately. It'll go straight through. Correct. Right. Fascinating. Right. So, so that's that's the the I guess the leverage that most of these okay. applications yeah. have. Um, and so, eventually, again, crowdsourcing, you're, mm-hmm. you're going to have this, um, you know, this set of data that that, that is comprehensive enough to be right. able to map pretty much any invoice, and, okay. and any exceptions would probably be pumped to you know, off to a, an offshore team or, yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so look, I think that that's going to be a that's going to be the biggest disruptor, mm-hmm. um, and I think obviously the automation around tax returns and, mm-hmm. and compliance, lower end tax returns. Mm-hmm. Um, but so there's going to be a real paradigm shift for accounting firms. But I don't think, in all honesty, and I've, and I've sort of been in this sphere for for a few years now, I, I don't think it's going to do away with accountants. I think there's a real fear in the industry mm-hmm. that it, that. You know, jobs might be lost. They're just changing. Mm-hmm. That's probably similar to what's happened in your mm-hmm. industry. Things will change. Um, I think the the role of a tax accountant is going to be higher level. Okay. I think the compliance space is only going to become more technical yep. uh, and complex, particularly with again, you know, crowdfunding and offshore transactions and sure. how well, that's all going to work. The global economy. So I think, um, but what's critical for accounting firms now is I think they need to embrace it and get and even get into this space. Mm. The the you know the relationship you can build with a client by being in and around their accounts on a we're we're in our clients' accounts on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. We're in contact with them on a weekly basis. It's in their face. They they the value proposition to them is is far clearer than mm-hmm. than once a year or once a quarter, and then they get a whopping bill that they don't actually understand. Mm-hmm. Even though, sure enough, the technical work justifies the mm-hmm. the, the cost. Um, so I'm finding that yeah, it, it creates quite a sticky service. So so. Yeah, I think in, in five years' time, every accounting firm will have a management accounting division that mm-hmm. will take care of bookkeeping and management reports. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in 10 years, it'll just be a complete end-to-end process um, mm-hmm. where a firm will, you know, for, for particularly around the middle market, the firm will be able to control everything around your financial back office mm-hmm. and then f- sign off in tax return at the end of the mm-hmm. day. And what do you think that will have, uh, you know, will do in terms of, you know, this uh, very long-standing, big four, blue-chip um, domination mm-hmm. of... Do you think that they will continue to maintain that um, hold on the market, or or is that going to be a completely different um, uh, industry makeup? I mean, it's an interesting question. I mean, at the moment, with their sort of early offerings right. in, in this sort of space, yeah. I, I understand Deloitte Private Connect hasn't really gone where they thought it would, mm-hmm. um, and I think some of the feedback has been that you know it's it's not a personal enough experience, right? Um, and it's you know it's not necessarily cheap either. Sure. Um, I'm, PwC Next is fairly uh, 
fairly new, mm-hmm. so I don't know a great deal about that. I haven't seen anything from EY, mm-hmm. uh, but KPMG have launched a product in the, in the UK mm-hmm. where they put it out there that they're actually going to you know, aggressively pursue mm. all of the, the corner shop book accounting firms in, in the UK. They're really yeah. going, there was a race to the bottom. So, yeah. um, so I'm not sure how that's going, but I, I think if, if they're looking to, to get into the middle market and replace these these roles and mm-hmm. act, act in a virtual CFO capacity, the model needs to change for them. They, mm-hmm. they, they can't provide a cookie cutter solution mm. um, to be able to do that with any value. Mm. You've got to be in the business. You've got to get in there and actually actually understand the processes and the people that are doing what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise it's just another cost. Yeah, and so you know, if you were standing in front of a bunch of grade twelve kids who are thinking about going to university to do an accounting degree now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what what would be the kind of things that you'd be saying to them? Um, yeah, obviously, be there's probably a bias there, but I, I, you know, if tax isn't their interest, I would, I would strongly recommend that the, the space in, you know, the opportunities in management accounting are going to increase greatly. Right. You know, so you you would still present it as a very viable career. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. In fact, I feel very fortunate. I do what I do, and I've yeah. had the experience I've had. Um, See, it's interesting. Uh, uh, I'm very fascinated with this sort of future of work, being in the recruitment mm. area. And uh, for example, in law, now um, they, they have supercomputers that have massive, massive databases mm. of all the precedents. So if you go to a lawyer and you say, look, I'm thinking about taking this action, yeah. they can uh, you know, dump the yeah, relevant yeah, yeah. information into a supercomputer yeah. and a supercomputer will almost instantaneously give you a prediction of success. Mm. Um, and they're saying that 90% of the current legal profession mm. within 10 years won't be required anymore. That's, well, wow. yeah, that, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a really great uh, video on YouTube. It's yeah. called uh, Humans Need Not Apply. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll put a link in the notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fantastic. But yeah. yeah, you know, so you look at these sort of fairly traditional... Uh, professional services of mm. recruitment being one of those, mm. and you think, well, if you know they can bring such automation in, mm. um, it's going to mean that the appetite for people with that traditional sort of skill set is going to be vastly diminished. Yeah, yeah, and and I think um, the thing I'd be encouraging you know younger people to do would be you know almost ignore the the I guess the traditional expectations of an accountant as being mm-hmm. somebody who's going to sit in a corner and punch out you know. Punch out mm. tax returns and do that sort of work. You know, your H and R blocks sort of person pumping their fist at you know, yeah. getting a figure right. It's it's really gone. The, the thing that, or well, the strength of my team and the, the direction I've tried to take it, it's very personality driven. Yeah. Well, um, you know, uh, people listening to the podcast can't see Jason, but mm-hmm. you know, you're wearing an open collared pink, pink shirt. shirt. <laughs> you got a big beard, and uh, you're not your typical uh, sort of grey cardigan accountant. That's, that's right. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so and that's been an interesting journey coming into professional services, as you can probably imagine. So right. I'm probably from a few people <laughs> no it's um yeah no our, our team's full of beans um, right. and to me it's the, the relationships they build and the reliance that the clients now put on them mm-hmm. uh for that real-time information right um to me it's a massive opportunity i mean it's huge so oh great and so looking now in terms of your own career um you've come into picture partners you've been there building this sort of business over the last couple of years mm. or 18 months or so mm. looking out to the future you know let's say five to ten years in your future, you know, what are the kind of things that you'd hope to be uh, doing professionally then? Look, I think there's, a, there's still a way to go with this particular model. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we certainly haven't got it nailed. Um, and I think there's gonna be further changes in technology and, and the approach to, to things over the next five years. So I think probably next five years is, is probably right. 
full for me in, in yeah. this capacity. And then um, beyond that, I really do see the, the consulting side of things, you know, mm-hmm. and even looking at other offerings with, within professional services. I mm-hmm. mean, like I said, I'm, you know, helping a client do recruitment. Uh, right. You know, I don't see that prof- uh, accounting firms are going to take, take on recruiters. Sure. Um, but I think when you've got that relationship with your client and you've got the network of accountants around you and you know what you're looking for, yeah. I, I think there's, a, there's an opportunity there for accountants to, to do that. But again, it's personality-based, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's... it's well, yeah, to me, you know, as you're talking and you're talking about uh, essentially small business owners who are typically pretty entrepreneurial, mm. they're up to their neck in crocodiles, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're doing everything they can to keep revenue coming through the door. Mm. The more you can, you know, basically take pressure off them by mm. uh, supporting them with strategy and, you know, um, clear and concise accounting and... Mm. Uh, you know these other elements. It, it just makes their life so much easier. Yeah, it does. And and, and you know even, even when it comes to to um, you know, banking covenants and talking with mm-hmm. the banks and insurances and you know, there's a whole suite of things mm-hmm. that, that 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 we can do and, and we have done to some degree you know for our clients. But mm-hmm. but really packaging all of that up as a comprehensive product. So I, I guess mm-hmm. to me that that'll be the end game. Mm, um, great. Me, yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Well, mm-hmm. certainly. Uh, uh, we'll put some links through uh, to Jason's LinkedIn profile and also mm. uh, company webpage and so on uh, with the podcast. Mm. Just to close out, we've talked a lot about business today. I mean, mm. uh, when you're not at work, what are the kind of things that you like to do to keep your uh, petrol tank full and you know keep you uh, energised, etc.? Yeah, well, there's golf, obviously, but I think there's this creative part of me that... that Really needs to be fulfilled with, um, you know, doing stuff around the house. I'm I'm renovating at the moment, but okay. I, I have this this thing I've got to do it myself. So, oh, do you? And so I'm basically teaching. You know, YouTube's wonderful resources. All right. So teaching myself how to, you know, build walls and oh, really? uh, build, build outdoor furniture and do all sorts of weird, and wonderful things. So, okay. So that's probably my most enjoyable outlet at the moment. And you mentioned you've that. got a daughter. Yes, I've got a daughter, and, right. and yeah, obviously spend a lot of time with her she helps me out she's got a little plastic hammer and <laughs> but and we live in a great place you know we live out in the bay side here in brisbane and yeah um, you know so it's it's great we get to go down there and just spend afternoons down at the park and okay and all those things so, all yeah, right well look that's excellent well jason i really appreciate your time thanks for coming in mm, thank you uh we're probably not too far off our first beer for a friday oh yeah and, <laughs> and more yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks again and uh have a great afternoon fantastic thanks Richard. Thanks again for joining us today on the Arate podcast. I look forward to having you back for future episodes. And in the meantime, have a fantastic afternoon.